Welcome to the City Point Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. Pastor Graham, he said to me, John, you can preach about whatever subject you want today. (laughs) Some of you think that was a mistake. But it's December, so I'm going to be a good boy. And, you know, the word on most people's tongues is Christmas. And even in my notes, uh, something that Pastor Mel was saying and we were praying about it was how this time in many people's lives is a time of deep loneliness and sadness. And for other people, it is ridiculous joy. Yeah. Some people love Christmas. Pastor Mel. (laughs) My brother-in-law. He's here today. I'm going to out him. His lounge room looks like this. Accurate. So some people love Christmas. Some people either way. Um, Some people think it's just fully commercialized. Some people talk about is a pagan. So my four points today are going to go through Christmas so that we can have some sort of real understanding about Christmas and maybe we can dispel some of the myths. That would be good, hey? Yeah. Um, You know, a lot of people watch YouTube and YouTube scholars. uh, But even in the safety world, there's a lot of myths out there. Just Friday, like two days ago, I got a call from a client and he said, John, we've just been told by this big company that it's the law that we have to have this specific safety document. I said, really? Now, I know that specific safety document doesn't exist. That's why people pay me to know that kind of stuff. But instead of getting upset and going, no, it doesn't. It doesn't exist. I just simply said some very powerful words that we can use for any myth. And I simply said, oh, great. Can you show me where that is in legislation? And that's when they went, But he said, great, I love what he said, but can you just show me in legislation where it says that? And it's the same with myths. Whenever I hear a myth on YouTube or anyone else, I just simply go, I don't get angry. I just say, oh, that's amazing, because I could be wrong. But can you show me where that original document is? So let's go through that. So four points this morning. Firstly, can God ever be a man? A lot of religions out there. Very confused about this subject. Let's absolutely put that to peace. Second point, Xmas. You know, people, you know, it's Christmas and they put their X instead. Uh, does it really cancel Jesus? Let's talk about that. It'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of you really believe me, hey? <laughs> yes, I appreciate that. Um, point three will be historical dates of Christmas. Where do we actually get December the 25th from? And I'm going to explain it from proper documents. Yes. Not that book said that that book said that that book said it was. Anyway, because we do know where. We actually do know where December the 25th came from. How's that? Um, And number four, and for me, the most important point, why? Why did Jesus come? Let's go through this. So, to start off with, we have to go right back to Genesis 1, okay? So, for those who like notes, sorry, the um, title for today is Sanctified Christmas. 
Let's do the first point. Can God ever be a man? Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, Elohim, English translation, God, created the heavens and the earth. People, Elohim is a plural word. Uh, It can be translated as gods, but there aren't gods who create the universe. It is a plural singular. Example, family. If I say to you, I've got a family, and I do, I'm very blessed to have a family, you don't immediately think, oh, that poor John, he's he's all alone. You know, the picture there is a group. Same with the word Elohim. Um, In fact, God of the Bible, the God of the Bible, is never ever called a singular one. Even in the great um, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, which is called the Shema in Hebrew, but it states the Lord God is one. Um, That word one there is echad. It's the Hebrew word echad. Echad is the same deal. It is a multiple one, like the word family. In Hebrew, if you, if you ever want to say the word one singular, like one one, uh, the Hebrew word is yachid, yachid, not ichad, two different words. God of the Bible is never ever called a singular one, ever, nowhere, all right? Even in Genesis 1.26, he says, let us create man in our own image. That's great. God's multiple, fantastic, but he's also singular, but does that mean He's a man. Uh, Then we go to Genesis 32, verse 24, okay? This is the event where Jacob was all alone and he decides to wrestle someone. And this is what the verse says. Then Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day, okay? Some translations will show and say the angel of the Lord, you know? So you've got these pictures where Jacob's wrestling an angel. The Hebrew word there is ish. Ish means man. It doesn't mean an angel. It means a man. Yeah. The easiest way to remember the word ish is Jesus asked us to be fishes of the ishes. (laughs) Yeah, that makes it a bit easier. Because I'm never going to remember the word ish. Okay, fishes of the ishes. That's easy. Uh, Don't. Well, I do know the Hebrew word for woman, but I'm not going to go into that today because it's a scary word. <laughs> like, actually, yes. <laughs> anyway, maybe next time. <laughs> All right, so a man, Jacob wrestles man, and then in Genesis 32, verse 30, where he's wrestled this man, Jacob then says, I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So Jacob knew that this man, Ish, was also Elohim, because he uses the word Elohim. I have seen Elohim face to face, and my life is preserved. So did he see the face of God? Well, he saw a facet of God, a man. Remember Jesus said, uh, no one's seen the Father except for me. Remember Jesus said that? That is true. But humanity, like there in Jacob, saw the man facet of God, Elohim. We see it again. So it didn't just happen once. In Joshua 5, 13 to 15, this is what it says. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man, the Hebrew word there is ish, a man stood opposite with him with his sword drawn in his hand. 
And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, interesting, um, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals, or take your sandals off, uh, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. We were just singing that song, Stand on Holy Ground, right? I like that. That was good. Yeah. Did you do that on purpose? You saw my notes. <laughs> no, you didn't. Um, can a man receive worship? Uh, no. Not at all. And yet this man claims to be so holy, he compares himself to the burning bush where, you know, with Moses. Amazing. So this man is extraordinary and he's super holy. If you read through, you'll see that this man also claims to be the one, pretty much claims to be the one, to deliver Israel out of Egypt. Yeah. Pretty big, pretty big statement for just a man. All right. So, yes, through humanity, Elohim, God has definitely been a man. It is a facet of Elohim. Let's go to point two. Christmas, with the big X. Does it really cancel Jesus? Um, I've got a picture up there, I think, of the word Christos. Do I have that? Maybe? Oh, there it is. Okay, excellent. Thank you. This is the word in Greek for Christ. I know, some of you put the two together, eh? So you've got a whole bunch of people, they're like, we should cancel out the word Christ. And I'm thinking, geez, they know Greek. <laughs> That's enough of point two. <laughs> I thought that was fun. I've always enjoyed that. I was just driving along going, yes! Glory to God. I've been looking forward to a long time for that. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, before I go into point three, let's just be clear. God is not fooled by us. Hey. I, I, there's a part of me that thinks that God designed the entire Greek language just so that us English people never, ever cross out the word Christ. That's, you know, it's pretty dramatic, but I think it might be accurate. Yeah. All right, point three. Let's do the historical dates of Christmas, shall we? The, his, the, the earliest manuscript that we have that actually uses December the 25th dates back to around AD 200. Yeah, um, it's by a guy named Hippolytus. Hippolytus. I can never pronounce it. It's Hippo, then Lytus. Hippolytus. Yeah. Um, and he specifically mentions December the 25th. I want to read this to you. Remember I said to you before, I don't like this whole, well, this person said this, then this person then said that. I don't like that. I'm going to show you the exact quote, all right? This is what it says. Uh, For the first advent of our Lord in the flesh, when he was born in Bethlehem, eight days before the clans of January, that's a very old English way of saying December the 25th, the fourth day of the week, Wednesday, interesting, hey? While Augustus was in his 42nd year, it's around 2 or 3 BC, but from Adam, 5,500 years, these guys studied it out pretty hard, eh? Yeah. Uh, he suffered, this part's really interesting, I want you to hear this part. 
He suffered in the 33rd year, eight days before the calends of April. That's March the 25th. The preparation day, the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, so forth and so on. Talks about the different Roman councils there. Why is this interesting? Firstly, it does say December the 25th, but it shows tradition in the early church of how they came up with the date, 20, um, December the 25th. It shows how. Um, because just assuming or you know, having information go along through history that it's December the 25th is very obscure, but this is how they came up with the date. Um, it was the belief, and you can see this belief in Judaism, they believe that a very important person dies on the same day that they were conceived. Yeah, I'm going to say that again, because this is a really important point in history. Even Jewish texts, they believe that a really, really important person dies on the day that they were conceived. All right? So, that is why that first part where it says um, that he died on March the 25th, the day of preparation, that is why it's so important. What Hippolytus is trying to say here is, we believe that he was born on December the 25th because he died on March the 25th. Ipso facto, he was conceived on March the 25th, and if you count nine months forward, you end up on December the 25th. That is how they end up with December the 25th. I'm going to show you another document just to prove that, all right? Um, there's a guy named, oh, actually it's a document, it's around 4th century, it was found in North Africa, it's called the Sol On Solstices and Equinoxes, and this is what it says. Therefore, our Lord was conceived on the 8th of Kalans of April in the month of March. See? So they believed he conceived, was conceived on the same day that he was crucified, March 25th, which is the day um, of the passion of the Lord and of his conception. For on that day he was conceived on the same day he suffered. See? Massive tradition in the early church from Judaism, from Jewish community, that someone very important was conceived on the same day they died. Count nine months forward. All right. A scholar around 200 AD, his name was Tertullian of Carthage. He also believed this and spoke of it. So I'm not just giving you one or two texts. I want you to see that this is really common understanding in the early church. Um, it says, and sorry, yeah, this is Tertullian of Carthage. And the suffering of this extermination, talking about his crucifixion, was perfected in the month of March at the times of Passover. There it is again on the eighth day before the calends of April. All right? So everybody at that particular time believed that he was crucified on March the 25th. And a whole stack of people believed that must be the day then that you're conceived. Nine months forward, December the 25th. Isn't that a lot different than what you've been told over the years through YouTube, hey? Yeah. Anyway, not just March the 25th. Some calendars say April the 6th. You know, have you ever heard um, Christmas? They get two different dates. You know, you've got December 25th, and then you've got a whole stack of other church people overseas that are like, no, no, it's January the 6th. Have you heard that before? Yeah. 
All right, how did they end up with January the 6th when I just told you all of these documents say or lead to December the 25th? It's actually really simple. Back then, there were so many different calendars. There really were. But the majority of the followers of calendars, you had a Roman calendar and a Greek calendar. The crucifixion, the Passover, according to the Roman calendar, occurred on March the 25th. And according to the Greek calendar, April the 6th. You count forward from the April the 6th, what do you end up with? January the 6th. So all the difference ever was between, is it December the 25th or January the 6th? The only big difference was whether you followed the Roman calendar or the Greek calendar. Guys, that is where we get the 12 days from, of Christmas from. Yes, because, I'm going to read this to you. Um, oh, went past my notes. This is called the Council of Tours in 560. 7 AD, they, because everyone was fighting, they're like, no, it's January the 6th, and a whole bunch of people were like, no, it's December 25th, and they're fighting in the church. Well, that would be unusual for people to fight in the church, isn't it? Okay. If you really get into it, guys, all of the disagreements and all of the myths in Christianity about Christmas, I say all of them, I want to say the sheer majority of them, started with churches just fighting. That's sad, hey? So anyway, so this thing, this is called the Council of Tours in 567 AD, and this is what it says, that we, are going, that, that we have declared the 12 days between Christmas and Epiphany to be one unified festal cycle. So it was actually a big church council that went, you know something, you guys are always fighting, let's just do 12 days of Christmas. Ta-da! I know. All right, you will notice that I've used early dates, like 200 AD. 200 AD is a lot earlier than any documented pagan festival on that date. In fact, at least two scholars have said, we think the pagan um, festivals may have just been trying to take it from the Christians. Yeah. Um, so let's go through just a couple before we move on, because I really want to kill this. Like, just make it really clear. Uh, the big one is the Sun Festival, you know, winter solstice. Uh, in 274 AD, there was a guy named Emperor Aurelian. The big theory is that he instituted December the 25th for the sun god. It's even on Wikipedia. The thing is, this is very interesting, if you look this up, you, it'll actually say, you know, um, Emperor Aurelian instituted, uh, instituted the Sun Festival on 274 AD on December the 25th, and then there's no number next to it. You know how you have to have a little number that says this is the, where I got the source from? There isn't, because there is absolutely zero ancient documents that say that. Even, even Aurelian, in all of his documents, never says that he put it on December the 25th anywhere. He just put what's called a quadrennial festival, which is every four years that celebrate the sun. That's it. No mention of December 25th at all. In fact, a uh, an emperor after him called Emperor Julian, he was around 361 to 363 AD, he has this hymn, and he talks about the sun god and the festivals. <laughs> He puts, it on, he, he puts those, those festivals in October. 
not December the 25th. And for those who are really caught up in, uh, for those who are listening, maybe on Podbeam, who are convinced that it's December 25th because of one specific main document, which is called the um, Chronography of 354 AD. The Chronography of 384 AD, it's also called the Philosian Calendar. It showed up. It's fantastic. It mentions Jesus' birth on December the 25th. How cool is that? Yeah, but it also mentions, and this is the big, you know, nail in the coffin of Christians in December, for those who read it wrong, right? Um, it also mentions that there is a festival of Invictus. All right, I think I've got a picture of it up on the screen, maybe? No, I don't? Okay, that's fine. But there's this thing, uh, yeah, that's the one that you're reading right there. That's the Jesus one. In the same document, it actually has December the 25th about Jesus. That's pretty cool. This was written for a Roman Christian, a wealthy Roman Christian. And this guy, whoever wrote it, um, they called it the Felician document because someone signed their name to it at some point. But this document shows that they believed that Jesus was born the 25th for quite a long time. And then it also shows, in the next slide, that this guy named, or someone named Invictus, was also born on December the 25th. So a whole stack of people, and man, this is one of the biggest myths a whole stack of people have jumped to the conclusion that this Invictus person is what they call Sol Invictus. Sol Invictus is the name of the sun-worshipping entity. But it never says Sol Invictus. They have jumped to that conclusion. If, um, and I was reading a whole stack of like, you know, atheist stuff about this. They're like, oh, we can assume that Invictus is the sun god. It's like, how do you do that? Oh, because, you know, the sun god was really popular in Roman times. Yes. So you, don't you think they'd use the correct name, like Sol, rather than Victus? Because Invictus can be used for anybody, like an emperor. They use it for emperor, Hercules, Mars. All right? So just because it says Invictus does not mean it's a sun worshipping. This is their big, we can prove it. No, you can't. Not at all. <laughs> like you said, guys, it's really simple. You just simply say, can you show me that document? It makes everything go away. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so regardless, so I can move on to my last point, which I think is absolutely the most important point. But before I move on, whether you believe that the Council of Nicaea, that's another one, yeah, Council of Nicaea, 350, oh, sorry, 325 AD, a bunch of theories that, you know, it was the Catholic Church that changed the date from January the 6th to December the 25th to come into alignment with sun worship. It's like, no, no, you just didn't realize that there was a Greek calendar and a Roman calendar. You also don't really know how often winter solstice ends on December the 25th. That aside. Um, but all of the things I've just shown you predate that big council of Nicaea. Also, guys, remember, ask... Can you show me that document? There is not one single document in that council that even mentions moving Christmas. It's all fraud. It's one person repeating another person who repeated another person. It's just not there. Anyway, even if it was, let's just say someone comes to me and goes, John, we can prove it. That's fantastic. Council of Nicaea, 325 AD, all of this Aurelian sun worship, 274 AD, it's all after where the church was like, you know something? We think Jesus was born on December the 25th. How good is that? So we can just now stop that, can't we? Yep. 
awesome. Because <laughs> I get emails and texts. I'm like, oh, Lord, Jesus. <sighs> now, when do I think Jesus was actually born? December the 25th? Maybe not. <laughs> I have my own ideas, okay, just from Jewish study. Uh, but it, for me, what I wanted to get through today is worshipping Christ and acknowledging his birthday has never been a pagan institution. It was actually the church that wanted to celebrate it. Um, it was a, a Roman emperor of Rome back in like first, second century that was like, hey, we should find out when Jesus was born. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have that exact quote, so I'm not going to use it. Simple as that. Might get the musicians up now if I can. That'd be great. They're already on their way. Point four. This is the most important point. Guys, everything else I've mentioned, it's fun facts to know, I think. <laughs> yeah, I like researching stuff out so that people don't say silly things to me and I haven't got an answer. Remember the Bible says, you know, have an answer. Have an answer. Study to show yourself approved. But for me, even if you don't know the answer, if you just simply say, can you show me that document? It just helps. <laughs> yeah. Why did Jesus come? You know, God could have kept the whole, I'm the God and you not the God position. He really could. Um, some scholars say, of course, that he came to die to save us from our sins, and that is true. You know, but there's whole songs about that. Oh, yeah, Jesus came so he could die. It, but why? But why did he do that? Oh, because he loves us? Great. But he can still love us from a distance. You know, like, why, why this whole, I need to be a man, an eternal man? Why do I need to do that? Why did God, to do, why did God decide to do that? It really bothered me. <laughs> so I researched. John 1 verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh, and he dwelt among us. That word dwelt in Greek, the basis of it is a Greek word called skenu. All right. The word skenu means tabernacled. Like, he, he wanted to be like us in this, tabernacled in this flesh. You know how, like, you've got a tent. A better word probably tent, okay? But tabernacled tent. And he's like, I'm going to go live in one of those tents. It's going to be fleshy, a little bit uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. But I'm going to do it. So, but Why? I'm going to show you the full reason, guys, because it's so much more than, oh, Jesus came to die. That is accurate. He did. And it's found in Hebrews 2, verse 11. Jesus came. Yeah, sure, God loved us. He came to die a horrible death. Horrible when you really get into it. Don't get into it. It's nightmare stuff. To cover and forgive us of our sins, literally taking on the punishment that we deserve for being such terrible people. <laughs> I know some of you are probably great people. I know if it wasn't for God. You saved me from me a lot of times. So, literally taking our punishment that we deserve, then he rose again so that we can spend eternity with him Hebrews 2, verse 11, this is what it says. 
For both he who sanctifies, that's Christ, that's Jesus, and those who are being sanctified, that's us, we're all one. For which reason, this is it, guys, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That Greek word there, brethren, the full word is adelphus, but it comes from the word delphus, so it's adelphus, it comes from the word delphus, which means womb. What? It means he wanted to be not just God and then not the God. He wanted to be related by blood. He, he wanted so much more than just, oh, we better save these people. He wanted so much more than, oh, you know, yeah, you can spend eternity with me. So much more than that. This isn't, oh, one day I die, I get to go to heaven, that's great. Fantastic, that is accurate. Jesus came because he wanted to be one of us so that he could be one of you. He just wanted to be a brother. He wanted to be family. Like any other God, like any of them, would be, I'm the God, you're not the God, do what I say. Not, not our God. Our God was like, my gosh, I, I want to be one of them. I'm like, why? I don't even want to be one of us. Why would you want to be one of us, Lord? Because his love is so deep for us. So deep for us. Yeah, amen. Um, Mark 3, verse 32 to 33, it says, And the multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look! All right, so they're getting annoyed because Jesus was doing stuff, and he wasn't paying attention to the fact that his, his relatives had shown up. And so the multitude was sitting around him, and they said, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Like, get busy. Go see your family. But he answered them and said, who? Who is my mother and my brothers? For whoever does... Oh, that's, then he looked around, and he said, these, these are my mother and my brothers. So he looked around and he said, these guys. So you're saying to me, yeah, my, you know, my relatives are outside, but no, 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 no. These people, these people around me, they're my mother, they're my brothers. Then he continues and says, For whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Well, if you look this up on the internet, there are so many people, you know, because, you know, people can do forums and do questions. There are so many people that say, if Jesus is our Lord. This is actually one of the questions, right? So this isn't just me saying, look this up. There are tons of people saying, if Jesus is our Lord, can I then call him brother? Well, in the words of a very famous TikTok song, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's like the whole point. <laughs> because Jesus wants to be Lord, and he is Lord, but he deeply wants to be your family. So absolutely, Lord, but brother. And I know sometimes it feels very irreverent. Hey, we're trying to work this out, but it's okay. It's going to be okay. Almighty Elohim, brother. And to quote my beautiful wife yesterday, because <laughs> we were talking about this, he's like, she's like, yeah, he wants to be more than just a star. 
on your tree. The lights on the house, a present given. He wants to be the center of your life. Your healer, your lover, your savior, your best friend. Sounds irreverent, but it's just true. And your family. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. You know, whether it's December the 25th or not December 25th, it really doesn't matter. The king of the universe wants to be a brother, father almighty. And whether it's the 25th of December, guys, or any date, God, I'm just so glad that you have love that's so fierce for us, so fierce for us that you'd want to be one of us, punished severely for us. Then he's returned to his rightful position, rightful position on his throne so that he can save us.